real quick update because this thing's kind of taken on a life of its own. Of course, that's my fault because I asked the church to pray for my shoulder a few weeks ago. Uh, update, uh, I've got some nerve damage in my brachial plexus. Doesn't that sound impressive? So, uh, physical therapy and, uh, uh, continue to be praying because it is going, it's going to be a, a fairly lengthy healing process. I uh, just got to strengthen them back. Uh, but so, uh, just kind of, cause people have asked about it. So it, it's kind of a little bit of good news. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm encouraged by that. I'm a little discouraged because it's not something that's going to heal itself overnight. Uh, but anyway, uh, just continue to be praying that, uh, the Lord would help me to be diligent in my, uh, doing my exercises for physical therapy. And, uh, I am motivated to do that because I do want to, I do want to get it healed because I, I'm, I'm tired of having limited, uh, use of this arm. So anyway, a uh, quick update on that, and I do appreciate those of you who do so. All right, we're continuing a series we began last week where we're looking at the topic that everyone ponders at some point in their life, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God. Everyone at some point has wondered what the afterlife is like, uh, whether there is an afterlife, what it might look like. Last week, the point of emphasis was uh, how we determine where we spend eternity. And the message was a little different than usual in that it was a little more theological in nature because we looked at two opposing views of eternity, one called Calvinism, which was promoted by a theologian who lived during the early 1500s named John Calvin, the other called Armenianism that was promoted by a theologian who lived during the late 1500s named Jacobus or Jacob Armenian. John Calvin believed that man's eternity was predetermined by God. Jacob Armenian believed that man decided his eternal fate. Now, we don't have the time to belabor those points this morning, if you're interested, want to know more about it, I'd encourage you to go to the message. I did have a couple people ask me uh, what churches are Calvinist. Traditionally, and, and again, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get an argument with anyone, okay? But traditionally, Presbyterians are Calvinist, okay? Did anyone grow up Presbyterian? Okay, I mean, that, that's fine. I'm just saying traditionally, Presbyterian churches are Calvinist. Uh, and most churches that have the term Reformed in their name, if you see a church that says Reformed such and such church, traditionally or typically those those churches are churches that embrace the Calvinist uh, doctrine. Uh, primitive Baptist, the, that, that's another one. Primitive Baptist, those churches embrace the Calvinist doctrine. Again, I'm not wanting to start an argument or fight with anyone. I'm just saying uh, those are the two opposing views. Uh, and... Our church uh, believes that uh, we do have control over our eternal destiny, that that we make that call, all right? So this morning I want to talk about how the choices we make here in this life do affect our afterlife, because even though we're saved by grace, the Bible is very clear about the fact that we will be judged for how we live out our faith or didn't live out our faith in this life. And this can be a point of contention for many Jesus followers, trying to connect those dots between being saved by grace and being judged for our works, okay? Uh, so right up front, before we get into this morning's message, let me emphasize that we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, Paul says, you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so, this, so that no one may boast. Remember, we talked about the idea uh, of a gift being free to you. Someone had to pay for it, but it was free to you just like someone has to pay for every gift. But if it's a gift to you, you didn't pay for it. I mean, suppose I suppose someone could buy a gift for themselves. Anyone ever done that? 
I guess in that situation, you know, you, you kind of paid for it. But typically, by definition, a gift that, that's something that's free to you, right? But it did cost someone something, but not us. And here, Paul is saying that by, by, uh, that, that salvation is a free gift to us from God. God already paid for the gift by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins, sins that have separated us from God. But the Bible is also very clear about the fact that we will be judged for how we lived out our faith in this life on this planet. And the beginning point for connecting these two dots between faith and works is tied to our understanding of two words. And the two words are belief and behavior. All right? Belief and behavior. Our belief determines where we spend eternity. Our behavior determines how we spend eternity. And that's what we're going to kind of focus on this morning in the message. Jesus was very clear about the fact that there are different levels of punishment in hell and there are different levels, and we'll talk about that when we, when we talk about hell in a couple of weeks. But there are different levels of punishment in hell, just as there are different levels of responsibility in heaven. In Luke 19, Jesus told a parable about a ruler who gave some of his servants different amounts of money, and he wanted them to leverage that money in a way that would make him more money. And the end result was some of the servants did a good job, right, of using what they'd been given to make their master more money. And their reward, according to Jesus, was that they would serve in some type of leadership capacity in heaven based on what they had done with what they were given. And it's very clear, it's very clear that one of the lessons from the parable is this cause and effect of how there's this direct link between the choices and the things that we do in this life and the reward or rewards we get in the next life. Okay? Now, the point being, our behavior does matter. Our behavior does matter, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. Everyone's going to judge both believers and unbelievers. And we're going to look at some scriptures now that reveal this fact. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every... Mike, I looked that word every up in the Greek. You know what... In, in the Hebrew, you know what it means? Every. 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 It means every. Every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether... Revelation 20, 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each. I looked that word each up in the Greek. You know what it means, Mike? Each. Each one of them according to what they had done. And yes, this is referring to the lost, those who had not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we know that they're going to be judged. But listen to what Peter says. All right? Listen to what Peter says. First Peter 1, 17. And if you call on him as father. All right, let's pause here for a second. If someone calls God Father, I think it's safe to assume that that they are following Him, right? That they consider God their Father. Why else would you call Him Father, right? Right? It's not a trick question. I think it's safe to assume that if someone calls God their Father, that they're probably a follower of God, all right? Or Jesus. Who judges? And if you call Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is just referring to the time that we live out our lives on this planet until Jesus either takes us home or comes back for us. So even Jesus himself indicated that believers will be judged for their works. In his conversation with his disciples one day when he was kind of laying out for them the cost of following him and how they needed to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Remember that statement? Right? He had just finished talking about his death and resurrection, and he knew what they didn't know. He knew that it was going to get worse before it got better. And so in order to try and help them prepare for what they were about to face, he just pretty much lays it out there, and he says, look, look, 
If you have any plans at all of continuing to follow me, you're going to have to understand that it's going to cost you. It's interesting that in the context of this challenge, he makes sure they understand that they will be rewarded for the choices and decisions that they make in this life. We know that from his comment in Matthew 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Do you see that? All right? Revelation 22:12. Behold, I am coming. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense, some translations say reward, with me to repay each one for what he has done. Put all this together, and here's the point. It does matter how we live our lives on this planet. All right? So one more time. Our belief determines where we spend eternity. Our behavior determines how we spend eternity. But don't get the idea that, that God expects some level of perfection from us while we live our, our lives out on this planet here and now. I know some people think because of Jesus' statement in the Sermon on the Mount where he said, be ye perfect as I am perfect, right? Or as your Father in heaven is a perfect. See, Jesus, more than anyone else, understood the challenge of trying to live a perfect life in our fallen state and condition on this fallen, broken planet. And while he pulled it off, and he's the only one that's been able to pull that off, by the way, while he was able to pull it off, he knows that we're not going to be able to pull that off. As long as we live in these bodies, on this planet, we're not going to be perfect, okay? But that doesn't mean we strive for it, okay? The key word in understanding what Jesus meant here is that word, as. He says, be perfect as. It's used as a conjunction here, which is not referring to equality, but rather likeness. In other words, those who profess God to be their father ought to imitate him in their actions towards others. Specifically, they love others. And this can only happen as we strive for maturity and fruitfulness in our lives. And that's really what that word perfect means in that context. Striving for maturity. Not that we're going to live perfect lives, but as we strive for perfection, we grow and mature in our relationship with him. In other words, the perfect Jesus was referring to here was talking about growth and maturity. And that is attainable for every single one of us. Okay? So, none of us live perfect lives. We all make mistakes. And God understands that. But he also wants us to understand that our belief does affect our behavior. That's why I sometimes struggle with someone who says that they believe in Jesus Christ, but when you look at the fruit of their life, you don't see a whole lot of fruit there, right? There doesn't seem to be a whole lot backing that statement up that they believe in Jesus Christ. Is that just me? Or I mean, come on. We all know someone who says that, yeah, they believe Jesus Christ and the Son of but when you look at the fruit of their life, it's like, really? Because you would think, and again, this is about being judgmental. I mean, that can happen sometimes. It's just a matter of fact. If someone says they believe something, but their actions don't follow suit, something's wrong there. Right? Something's wrong there. And if belief does determine behavior, then the only logical conclusion would be that they don't really believe what they say they believe. Again, that's not being judgmental. That's just a fact. When someone believes in Jesus Christ, Someone accepts him, accepts him as their Lord and Savior. I mean, I mean, really surrenders their heart. God's going to begin to change their heart. That is a fact. And when our heart is changed, our desires change as well. Our behavior changes. It's not that we don't sin anymore. It's just that the desire to sin is not the same as it once was. Are we still tempted? Absolutely. Absolutely. Satan doesn't like losing anyone off his team. So he's going to continue to tempt us. Right? And when someone repents of their sins and, and turns their life over to Christ, they're essentially switching teams. And he doesn't like that. 
So yeah, he's gonna, he's not gonna give up on us. He's gonna continue to tempt us. He's gonna try to lure us back. So there's going to be temptations. So even though our desire might have switched from sinning to following God, there's still going to be temptations for us. The concern is, once having surrendered your life to Jesus, that you still have a desire to do those destructive things that you used to do. Because something's not right then, right? If that's the case, then perhaps you should check your heart. Because belief should determine your behavior. I actually heard a statement before. They said, well, I believe in tithing, I just do it. Really? I think one pastor said, well, well, I believe in taking showers, I just don't do it. You see, you understand the absurdity of that. See? Because if you really believe that, then that means you would understand the benefits of doing that and why and, and how God's economy works, and you would do it. So in my mind, that no, you don't really believe that, or you would your your life would indicate that, right? Our belief determines our behavior. Now let's look at the two judgments mentioned in the Bible. There are a lot of people who don't realize that they're actually judgments. One for the lost and one for the saved. And we understand the judgment for the lost. We get that. But what will the judgment of the saints be about? I mean, if we're already saved and on our way to heaven, what will our judgment be about? Those who are Jesus followers. It's going to be about our works. What we did with what God gave us in this life. Our stewardship, like that parable says. What we did with what God gave us. All right? So, here are the two The judgment seat of Christ. This is also the believer's judgment. Okay? This is the believer's judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So, just to clarify here, this isn't referring to the judgment for our sins. Alright, that was already covered at the cross. This is a completely different judgment. A judgment for how we lived out our faith or how we lived our, out our life on this planet. Or the way Paul puts it, what we have done in the body. That's what he's referring to there. And that phrase, whether good or evil, means we'll, we'll, we'll either receive a reward or lose a reward, depending on the situation. Receive a reward for the good we've done or lose a reward for the evil that we've done. Romans 14.10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. There it is again. 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now here Paul's talking about how he preached the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ in the in an ancient city called Corinth. And uh, there were many uh, in, that, in that city who responded to that and turned their hearts and lives over to, to the Lord, right? And this is kind of who he's re referring to here. And he says that, uh, and those people are taking steps to grow and mature in their relationship with Christ. He goes on, let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now watch closely, because Paul's going to mention two types of building materials we as Christians can use as we seek to grow in our relationship with Jesus. He's speaking spiritually. One category of building materials is temporal, the others are eternal. But it's a very important point that we need to note here. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. Now, that day is capitalized. It's referring to a specific day, Judgment Day. 
Well, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, the context for these verses that we just read have to do with the point of contention that surfaced in a, this church in this ancient city called Corinth. And the contention had to do with some who had come to know Jesus through uh, the, the ministry of a, a person named um, Apollos, all right? So there was a, a, a Jesus follower named Apollos who was preaching, and there were many that came to know the Lord under his ministry. But there were also some who came to know the Lord under the ministry of Paul. And Paul's trying to help them, so they, they were arguing over this. You know, which group was better? Well, we came to know Jesus under Apollos. Well, we came to know Jesus under Paul, you know? And, and, and so Paul, he's trying to help them see just how petty and immature and insignificant this attitude really is. In fact, if you read the first few verses of the chapter, Paul, what he say, he, he basically calls them out for their immaturity there, right? He, he says basically, look, your spiritual foundation isn't built on the Oropolis. It's built on Jesus Christ. And even though both groups have Jesus foundation, still the choices and decisions that they make in this life only impact their lives here and now but also in eternity but the underlying principle in paul's comments here go back to this idea they have control right they have control over this they have a choice a choice to either accept or reject jesus christ and a choice to continue living for jesus christ after receiving him as their lord and savior but and here's the important part either way they're going to be rewarded for the choices and decisions they made or didn't make Either way, watch this now, either way the end result will be revealed, okay? And the same holds true for us today. We can make choices and decisions that will stand, that will not stand the test of time and trials and are going to be burned up. Even if we're going to go to heaven, we won't receive the reward that we would have received had we made better choices and decisions in this life. And what Paul said here is consistent with what Jesus actually taught in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, what? Reward you. Aside from the fact that Jesus tells us that we'll reward for making right choices and decisions here and now in this life, the other underlying truth in this passage is the personal touch. Please note how Jesus makes it a point to let us know that when we receive our reward when we get to heaven, we're going to receive it personally from Him. Yeah, Mike got it. Wow. I mean, if, 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 there, if you didn't have any motivation before, that should be motivation to live a right, because you're going to receive a personal reward from this isn't, this isn't like Jesus, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to walk out on a balcony like the Pope. Walk out on a balcony and, you know, all the millions of heaven, all the saints will be out there. And Jesus is going to be, y'all done good. And then turn around and go back in. No, we're going to receive a personal reward from Him. I thought that was kind of, right? So, again, not that we needed any motivation, but what greater motivation to live God 
to make wise choices in this life so that we can receive that personal reward from our Heavenly Father. And it's interesting, the Apostle John makes an interesting, interesting statement in 1 John chapter 2 that probably wouldn't make a whole lot of sense if you came across this just as you were casually reading the Bible. But I, I want us to look at this. In 1 John 2, verse 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now, please note that he's writing to believers. We know the statement, little children. That's not referring to age. It's more of a term of endearment because many of those that he's writing to had to know the Lord under John's ministry. Okay? The little children reference is a subtle reminder that they should not overestimate faith, especially in light of what he's about to mention, which is the Lord's return for them. So question, why would a Jesus follower, why would a Christian shrink back in shame when Jesus comes for them? Yeah. The only logical explanation would be, explanation would be regret. Regret. Shame. Regret at what could have and should have taken place during the course of their life here and now. All the choices and decisions that were made or that weren't made. How much more we could have done for the kingdom of God if only we had made better choices. And sadly, there's going to be a lot of little children who will shrink back in shame when Jesus returns. Those who, even though they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, even though they attended church faithfully, still have all those lost opportunities, times where they could have done more or given more of their time or their lives to the Lord and His service in this life. fourth grade, uh, I went to, uh, we, were, we attended the Antioch First Southern Baptist Church over in Lawrence, and, and uh, I went to a, uh, a youth camp uh, just right outside of Topeka, and, uh, and uh, so uh, first day, you know, we get to camp, uh, you know, I was kind of being a smart aleck, being a cut up, you know, uh, giving our, our, our group leader a hard time, you know, trying to be cool and all that kind of stuff, you know, and uh, so anyway, um, that night at the uh, at the service because they had a, you know a, a service each evening, uh, they actually uh, said, okay, now we're going to give out these. Uh, they gave out these uh, uh, certificates, uh, little cards for the snack shack. And I forgot how much money was was on it, but you know you could use that and you know go take it to the snack shack and they would just punch because you, you usually had to buy those, you know, because that that's kind of how it worked. But each evening they gave out some of these. To uh, and they asked the group leaders who in their group exemplified a Christ-like attitude throughout the day, right? So I remember sitting there that night, and they talked about how you know this is going to work, and I'm sitting there saying, "Hey, you didn't tell me we were going to get." If I would have known that, you know, I, I might have. Well, guess guess who kind of uh, started being a little bit more Christ-like the rest of the week, right? The point being, you're without excuse now. I'm telling you, Jesus has some coupon cards to the heavenly snack shack. Right? For those who make the right choices and decisions here and now. So, what we believe and how we behave is important to the judgment seat of Christ. Alright? Which shows that even believers are going to be judged for how we lived out our lives, lived out our faith on this, in, on this planet. And the third point, the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment that most of us think of when we hear that word judgment. Revelation 20, verses 12 and 13. Then I saw a great white throne, and who, him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, 
and books, please note books, plural, were opened. Then another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now, the book, singular, is referring to the book of life. This book contains the names of those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and those who are going to enter into heaven. But the books, plural, is referring to the works of those with names whose names were written in the book, singular. See, see, we know that from the last statement. The dead were judged by what was written in the books. Now watch this now. According to what they had done. All right? And, and most people don't realize this, but it's like there are degrees of reward in heaven. Also are there degrees of punishment in hell. We don't have the time to go over that. We'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks when we talk about hell. But, and I think preached a message on that about a year and a half ago or a couple of years ago. The point is, God is a just God. And His justness, His fairness is evident in both His rewards and punishment of mankind. Now, this. Let's say there's a couple of believers, one who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're on their way to heaven, but they only attend church occasionally, you know, when it's convenient for them. They'll give in the offering occasionally, but they're not a percentage giver. They don't tithe according to the Bible's instructions. Uh, they never or very seldom help uh, out at church. And, and when, they, when they do attend, so, so basically they don't give much of their time or money uh, or service to the Lord or His kingdom. Then there's another Christian who does attend church faithfully. They do tithe. They do give in offerings. They give of their time. Maybe they, they teach a class or they're actively involved in helping with one of the ministries. Maybe they come faithfully to help out with a food pantry. Question, do you think God will reward both of those people equally? Of course not. God is a just and fair God. That's how He operates, right? So then, what about a non-believer? Maybe an agnostic. They're not a bad person. In fact, they might be faithful in their marriage. Uh, they're a good provider for their family. They might even give to, you know, a charity now and then, the Red Cross, United Way, whatever, uh, some other benevolent organization but they just don't believe in religion and never saw the need to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, right? That person, according to the Bible, will go to hell because they rejected God's offer of love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But do you think God will judge that person the same as he would a serial rapist or a mass murderer? No. I'm telling you, God is a just God, and we'll talk about this here in a couple of weeks, but it works on both ends of that. It works on both sides of that, right? They're going to be recompensed for their deeds and the choices and decisions they made in this life because God is a just God. So, does this mean then that, that Christians just get off scot-free, Pastor? Right? How, how's that fair? Because God paid for our sins by sending His Son to die for us so we wouldn't have to suffer the consequences of our due recompense, our reward. And as far as fair, think about this, as far as fair, it really is fair. Here's why. Everyone has the opportunity to receive God's offer of love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Everyone has that opportunity. That's why it's fair. Everyone has that opportunity. Right? It's like what I talked about a couple weeks ago. You know, the, the check for the payment has already been signed. But we have to endorse it. And the way we endorse it is by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Oh, let's quickly look at some, some of the degrees of judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ. Matthew 11, 21 to 24. Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works, that's an important phrase we're going to come back to, 
If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you it will be, now watch these next two words, more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now remember that this is Jesus. This is Jesus speaking here. Jesus is saying, he says, more bearable, that could be translated more tolerable, more lenient, or, or less suffering, less punishment. See, if it's, if it's all the same for believers, then how could it be more tolerable or, you know, or less suffering or punishment? It's clear it's not the same, right? Let's read on. Jesus continues, verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works, there's a phrase again, mighty works, done in you had been done in Sodom, right? Now, this is absolutely amazing. We're all familiar with Sodom, right? That ancient city of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom was an ancient city that was so wicked, so wicked that its name is used today to describe debauched and perverted sex acts so they don't have to actually say what it was. So we're all familiar with that name Sodom, right? says, if, if, uh, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now that is an absolutely amazing statement. That is an amazing statement by Jesus. In fact, if it had come from the lips of anyone else, it would be hard to believe. Right? No one would have believed it. Because we know what happened in Sodom. And here Jesus tells us, the people of, he's telling the people of Capernaum, that if the mighty works that were done in their midst had been done in Sodom, that that city would still exist today because they would have repented. Now, these three cities that Jesus mentions here, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, they kind of made up the spiritual climate of the day. Bible scholars call these three cities the Evangelical Triangle because those are the places where Jesus did the majority of his ministry. When well, That three and a half years on this planet, most of the miracles he did, most of the, the mighty works, that's what it's talking about here, were done in those three cities, right? That's what it's talking about here. And we know that because we began reading at verse 21. But if you go back up to verse 20, it says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Because they, So that's not just me. No, we know that he did most of his mighty works in those three cities. Right? If you were to look at an ancient map, you'd see how the location of those three cities kind of make up a triangle. All right? Those are the three places where, where Jesus did most of his miracles and preached the good news. Right? He says... And so basically he says, you know, I personally came into your city and did miracle after miracle after miracle, shared the good news, right? And you still didn't repent. said, even Sodom would have repented had I gone to visit their city and did what I, what I did here. If I would have done that in Sodom, they would have repented. Whoo. All right. Says, and for that reason, your judgment's going to be more severe than their judgment. Romans 2, 5, and 6. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, because that's where the people of those three cities were, they were stubborn, they were unrepentant. Paul says, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are, watch this now, storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they've done. Literal translation. Because of the choices and decisions that they were making in this life, they were storing up for themselves wrath in the afterlife. 
That's what he's saying there. Remember the words of Jesus when he said it would be wise to store up treasure in heaven? Remember when Jesus said that? Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's very, very clear, dear ones, there is a cause and effect between the way that we live life in this here and now and the, and the rewards or punishment that, that, that we'll receive in the next life. Right? It's very clear. The Bible's very clear about that. And I don't know if there's going to be food stamps in heaven, but I know that there's going to be some people that aren't going to have as much as they could have had because they were more worried about their IRA than their ERA, their eternal reward account. Right? Their eternal retirement account. It's that familiar line when talking about the very wealthy man who had passed away. Preacher did the funeral afterwards. They're having a meal together. The family, one of the family members came up because this is a very wealthy man who had passed. And his family member said, so, so how much, how much do you think he left? And the pastor said, all of it. All of it. It's like Tony Evans says, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. We leave it all. We take nothing with us. Nothing. We'll leave this world the same way we came into it with nothing. But, Here's the good news. We can send stuff ahead. See, heaven has its own layaway plan. Right? Called investing in the kingdom of God. And what's even more interesting is the fact that Jesus told us to send it on ahead. Why? Because apparently we're going to need it. Why would he tell us to do that unless we're going to need it? Right? Or at least use it while we're there. But, and, and this is really amazing when you think about it, in the same way Believers can store up treasure in heaven in the same way that believers can send stuff ahead that will be useful to them in heaven. So also can unbelievers store up or send ahead things that will compound or make more difficult their stay in hell. How? By continuing to deny or resist the love of God that He offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. Even though, watch this now, even though Jesus did mighty works in their presence, but they still refuse to accept him or acknowledge his role as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Not only that, the Bible also seems to indicate that some believers will receive a stricter and more harsh punishment. That's right. In fact, <clears throat> you all know someone whose judgment is going to be harsher than yours. You're looking at him. You're looking at him. He's standing in front of you right now. James 3.1 Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with what? Greater strictness. And I think about that verse a lot. I do. When I was in sixth grade, uh, my dad had an apartment complex west of Warren. It's still there. I don't know what it's called now. At that time, it was called Ridgely. My parents had divorced a year before, and I was living with my dad at the time because my mom had moved to Kansas City, and I wanted to continue to go to school in Lawrence. So, uh, so my dad worked part-time as a maintenance man there. He had a job at Hercules, a sunflower plant, but he worked part-time at the apartment complex uh, in, in exchange for some uh, a discount on his rent because he knew the, the manager at the time. 
So for my allowance, uh, my dad would sometimes assign to me some of his responsibilities, and then he would pay me, uh, and that's kind of how I would earn my allowance and get some spending money. One of the things that he assigned to me was cleaning out the trash bins at the end of each of the buildings. Now, this was back before they had these big dumpsters that we have today. And at the end of each apartment, there was like, I don't know, 12, 14 apartment buildings, maybe not, 10 to 12 maybe, apartment buildings. At the end of each of the building, there was this kind of fenced-in area that had anywhere between 20 and 40 of those galvanized trash cans. All right? And uh, sometimes those things could get pretty ripe. On windy days, because, you know, people weren't real clean when they would take their, you know, they'd take their trash down, just throw it in. Sometimes they'd hit the can, sometimes they wouldn't. So sometimes those trash bins would get pretty nasty. So I absolutely hated cleaning those, but I wanted some money. Because this particular night, I I was going out on a date. Me and a friend were going out on a double date. We were going to go see Cool Hand Luke. That kind of ages me right there. Tells you how old that was, right? So I was all excited going to go on this double date, see Cool Hand Luke that night. But I needed some money. So when I asked my dad for some money, he said that I could earn some by cleaning the trash bins on three of the buildings. Right? So uh, he told me the buildings that he wanted me to clean. And uh, so I proceeded to go get the uh, the shovel and the uh, broom and uh, go to clean these trash bins. Right? And wouldn't you know, at this particular day, the trash bins were probably at their worst. It was kind of a windy day. So I'm starting to clean one of the trash bins, and the wind's blowing and whipping around in there, you know, because it was kind of a fenced in. So I started, you know, I'd sweep up a pile, and then the wind would come and blow it away, and so I was kind of chasing this trash around. So finally, I, I quit sweeping, and I just go around, and I started picking up some of the trash and throwing some in the trash can, but I wasn't sweeping it and cleaning it like it should have been. So, uh, I did that at each of the trash bins on each of the buildings that he asked me to do, right? Well, uh, when I finished, I knew my dad knew that I hadn't done what I should have done because I, it didn't take me as long as it should have if I cleaned it the way that I should have. So uh, I thought, well, I don't want to go home yet because then my dad will know I didn't clean it like I should have. So I went down to one of the laundry rooms because they had vending machines and I had a little bit of change. So I went down to one of the laundry rooms and got me a can of Hawaiian Punch, and I'm just sitting in there kind of uh, kicking back on the laundry folding table drinking my can of Hawaiian Punch. Well, unbeknownst to me, my dad had seen me walk into the laundry room. And so he knew that something wasn't right. So he comes into the laundry room. I can't tell you how surprised I was to see him walk into that laundry room. So uh, he says, uh, so are you done? I said, uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I am. And he said, oh, it didn't take you very long. He said, you know, he said, I, I went and checked those, uh, those trash bins. He said, I went and checked on building number three. He said, uh, it really didn't look like it had been swept. And I said, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Dad, I, I, I started sweeping it, but then the wind was blowing, and so I kind of got sidetracked, and I was just picking up. But, but I'll go back and do that now. And he said, well, I went over to Building 7, too, which is another building. He said, and, and that one didn't look like it had been swept either. I'm thinking, what building was that now? <laughs> Playing ignorant to save my soul here, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I remember now. Yeah, I uh, I was going to do that one, too. Anyway, basically, I'd, I'd gotten busted. 
So uh, long and short, uh, I was supposed to three, clean three bins, and uh, so I got grounded for the next three weekends. Here's the thing. Had I known that my dad had been watching me, Do I need to say anything more? Had I known that my father had been watching me. Folks, your father's watching you. Your father's watching you. Right? And he's going to reward and he's going to punish based on the choices and decisions that we make in this life. The Bible speaks of two judgments. But here's the really cool thing about these judgments. We get to choose which judgment we attend. Everyone's going to be judged, but we get to choose which judgment that we'll attend. The judgment seat of Christ as a believer or the great white throne judgment as one who, like the people of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, rejected Jesus Christ. Belief and behavior. Cause and effect. What we do in this life does matter. The choices we make in this life do matter. The decisions we make in this life do matter because it does affect our role in eternity. Amen? Next two weeks, we're going to talk about the things that probably you've been wanting to talk about. We're going to talk about heaven, what that's going to be like, and we're going to talk about hell. And I thought about, I thought about ending with hell, I mean with, with heaven, but then I thought no because we're going to go straight from that into a series called The Devil When the Devil Knocks. So we're going to talk about heaven next week and we're going to conclude this series talking about hell and then we're going to talk about when the devil knocks and spiritual warfare. Okay? Let's stand. Everyone bow your head. If you're here this morning and you have... Uh, never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Because you are going to be judged. You are going to be judged. That's the bad news. The good news is you have control over which judgment that you attend. So if you're here this morning and you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's basically a two-step process. You repent and you believe. Repent is, you know, you go on one way, you turn around, you go the other way. You believe. Paul says, if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you that opportunity now. It's very simple. Just say, Lord Jesus, I do pray that You would forgive me. I recognize that I've been living for myself. I haven't been living the way that you would want me to live. I do confess that I'm a sinner. Help me, Lord, to begin to live my life for you. Come and live inside my heart and help me to live my life for you. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, I would ask you to, on those cards on the back of the chairs, there's a place on there that you can indicate that. Just put on there that I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Because that's something that, that needs to be celebrated. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just saying that's something that, that we want to encourage you in. Because if you meant business with God, 
then you shouldn't be ashamed to acknowledge that. Better yet, tell someone as we're dismissed. Just tell someone, you know, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. I prayed to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. For everyone else, I think the challenge here is just recognizing that, you know, our choices do matter. Yeah, we're going to heaven. That's already been taken care of, right? That part's been taken care of. But the way that we live in this life, the choices and decisions we make, those are important too. So going forward, just praying for God's grace to help you begin to, with that understanding and that recognition, begin to make the choices and decisions that will help you in those rewards that you'll get in the next life when we're living in His presence. Because I don't think anyone wants to shrink back. No one wants to be ashamed when Jesus comes back for what, could, what we could have done, what we should have done. So I do pray, Father, for the rest of us that we would begin to live our lives with that understanding and start making choices and decisions that we can send it on ahead. Recognize, apparently we're going to use it, Father, or you wouldn't have said to. So help us, Father, to begin walking that direction and making good choices and decisions as we live in your presence for eternity, Father. We pray these things in your name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Go with the Lord.